Ephesians chapter number 4. Uh, we've been looking through uh, verse 8, 9, 10 here just in a little bit uh, of, a, of a kind of a study of God's answer to Satan's church and so forth. And, and uh, so let's just start reading here in verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And we've been looking at that ascending, descending. Uh, really, verses 9 and 10 explain verse 8 and help understand how he could lead captivity captive, how, how he can then give the gifts unto men. By the way, the gifts start there in verse 11, and they're past tense. They're, they're not given today. They're given in the early days of the church, the body of Christ, and for the orderly maintenance of getting things running. And actually, he gave some, verse 11, he gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers, pastors and teachers. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he actually numbers those as, as 1, 2, and 3. And the gifts, and then every, after that, everything else is just kind of on your own because of that giving. Well, verse 12, why were they given? That are for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. So they're given for a reason. They're not just given to give till, verse 13, so there's a timing element. And when the scriptures are complete, all scripture is given. When that's complete then the gifts system ceases completely. Up until that point, the gift system had started to begin to fall away. You, you know that because Paul could heal, and then he got to where he couldn't heal. And that, and that was prior to the scriptures ceasing. He was speaking in tongues, and then he quit speaking in tongues and stuff like that. So really what happens here now in verse 9 and 10 is it explains... When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And we looked at that, the, the leading of the captivity captive. What is captive? Creation, under the satanic policy of evil, but also mankind, the creature that God created to, to help restore creation back to its proper condition under his headship. So what happens then is he let, leading captivity captive, what did he do? Because he descended first, and we looked at that. We're going to look again a little bit more at that descension. Into the lower parts of the earth. And I warned you that that's not always hell. Okay? We went back and looked at Psalms there we're in the book of DNA there, Psalms 139, how David describes being made of the lowest parts of the earth and stuff like that and the dirt. He's made of a woman, made, born, made of a woman, lives out, goes and dies at Calvary. Then he ascends up in that process there. But what happens is, is when you read like verse 9, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens. Why did he do that? That he might fill all things. And that's coming, okay? But what happens is, is people read these passages and they come up with some squirrely ideas. And squirrely and really heretic, heret, 
heretical. Thank you. I get it there. Okay. And what happens is, is, is I, we were taught, we talked about a one last week where they say that in his ascension, that's when he moved Abraham's bosom paradise into the third heaven. Well, Acts 2 causes a trouble there because Peter says that David hasn't descended up yet. And Hebrews 12 eventually does get there. First or 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is up there. So eventually, somewhere along the lines, Abraham's bosom moves to the, the third heavens, okay? Now, it's like at the meeting we were talking about the gap theory. and You know, Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2, you know. And my whole thing about that is, first of all, if you put time on the gap, you're wrong. Don't know time. Because if you put time in there, you cause problems because there's no time verse in Scripture. Okay, two, you better put the fall of Satan somewhere prior to Genesis 3. Because who shows up in Genesis 3? A fallen creature called Satan. And then God cursing him. So, yeah, so anyway, we had a big old, you know, we were up to like 4 in the morning. You know, and I'm like, dude, I'm tired. You know, But the thing is, is you've got some things. And what happens is, is you begin to pull and you begin to do. Coming out of this passage also is... A thing we're going to talk about this morning is, is that they say that Jesus went to hell, the torment side, to pay for sins. So the question is, is did he do that? And the answer is no. So let's go to lunch. Okay? But you can't just do that. You've got to hammer it out. So where does Scripture talk about Jesus Christ going into the torment side of hell? It doesn't. It never talks about that. And where that idea comes from, and we had this conversation in our men's fellowship, is from the Apostles' Creed, where the idea comes from. The Apostles' Creed, the, tradition ver the tr traditional version. By the way, you know they revamped this to make it more, more palatable to more people. He says, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, buried, I'm sorry, crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and so on. So that's what they go based off of rather than Scripture. Because when you come to Scripture, come over to Luke 23. Luke 23. When you come to Scripture, there is no Scripture that says he goes into the torment side of hell. And that means we have to understand then what hell is in the Old Testament, in the Scriptures. By the way, there's a guy right now saying that because Paul doesn't use talk about hell, there is no hell. Well, there is a thing called eternal damnation. By the way, how long does eternal last? It says forevermore. So now we have to redefine eternal to make that work. And just because Paul doesn't talk about hell in a very specific manner doesn't mean that a just God doesn't have it. And actually what they've done is they've turned hell into a purgatory-type idea, a Catholic idea. So you know what's happening? This guy's leaving a King James Bible. He's leaving Pauline Distinctive Ministry. But by the way, all the meantime, you know what he's saying? I'm getting it from a King James Bible, and I'm getting it from Paul. 
and it's just ain't so, okay? And the folks that follow him will eventually see that that's the case. The point is, look at Luke 23. You can know from Scripture, when we talk about eternal judgment, it literally is a dispensational issue. And when you look at it and you think about this, Luke 23, verse 42, Luke 23, 42, the Lord is on the cross. The two thieves are around him, Luke 23, 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. So what is this guy, what, when he says come into the kingdom, what's he talking about? He's talking about that earthly, visible, physical, literal, Davidic kingdom. He's not talking about going to heaven or a heavenly kingdom, which is what you and I talk about. He's talking about this is the Lord's earthly ministry. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now think about that. In time past, hell had two, had, if this is the crust of the earth, okay? Here's the cross. All right? There's the cross. Hell has two compartments. It sits in the center of the earth, and it has two compartments in it. Come over to Luke 16. And it's important to get this, and it's important to understand, because if you understand it, then when, excuse me, but when stupid shows up, you can leave it where it is, okay? A guy asked me one time, how do you tell someone they're being stupid nicely? And I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. How do you do it? And he says, you tell them that wisdom has been chasing you, but you've been a little too fast. I was like, well, that's pretty good. I like that. But So, again, when false doctrine comes up, when doctrines of devils comes up, if I've communicated to you and helped you enough, you, can, you don't have to run to Rick and say, hey, you can say, you know what, let me look. No, that's not right. Okay. In Luke 16, you have the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I know what happens. Everybody immediately says it's a parable. Well, okay, if it's a parable, then the reality is going to be worse than what we're reading for the, for the lost man. And the blessings for the rich man are going to be better than what we're reading because that's what the parables do, all right? This is not a parable. This is literally the Lord Jesus Christ reaching down as God Almighty and peeling back the tundra of the earth and looking down into hell. Verse 22, Leviticus, Luke 16, 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died. So the beggar, Lazarus, you have a rich man. You have rich man and you have Lazarus. He's the beggar. They die. What'd they do with the bodies? They put them out there in the cemetery. Right? Yes. The beggar died, verse 22, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, you don't get angels carrying you away when you die. You know how you know that? It just slipped my mind. 2 Corinthians 5 says what? I'm confident that absent from the body is present with the Lord. So you move 
2 Corinthians 12, when he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. You move from one environment into the other environment, and it's not a shock to the system. It's a familiar thing. Okay? But what happened here? The rich, Lazarus, he's carried over here into Abraham's bosom. Also called paradise. What did the Lord say to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me where? In paradise. Now what happened to the lost guy? The rich man. He died and he was buried and in hell, verse 23, he lifted up his eyes being in what? There's a torment side. All right? Now, one day, down the road somewhere, and I'll be honest with you, personal, personal opinion is, is between Acts 2 and the writing of, of uh, 2 Corinthians 12, which is about Acts 20-ish, this area goes to the third heaven. Okay? Now, where it is, when it is, if you've got an idea, that's great, you have your idea. But anywhere from Acts 2-ish into there, mid, Acts 20, 21, right in there, it moves. Okay? And if you have questions, I can tell you why I think Acts 2, but I'm not going to do that right now. Where did the lost man go? Where did the lost go? Paradise. Where do the believers go? Now, we're in time past. They go to paradise, right? Now, just keep reading. Lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool his tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus the evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. By the way, if they could pass, what would happen on the torment side? They'd all empty out into the bosom side, right? But notice something here. There's a gulf fixed, right? Can't pass. He, the lost, notice, by the way, notice the description of the soul. He's got eyes. He's got a tongue. He's got ears. He's got fingers. You know what your soul looks like? It looks like a body. It has a body to it, a body function shape to it. Can't go here, can't go there, you're stuck. But what's over here? Torment, right? What's on this side? Paradise. Good things. Notice how he says that. It's just fascinating to me how, verse 25, he says, Remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth the good things, and likewise Lazarus the evil things, but now he is what? This is comfort. That's torment. Two different things. Now, this is, again, this is time past. Okay? When Christ dies on the cross, where are we dispensationally? Time past. Okay? With me? All right, we'll think a little bit. Keep reading. By, by the way, if G, look at verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so we can't go in. If Jesus Christ died and came here, could he ever get out? The answer is no. 
There's no way for him to get out. You can't leave. You can't move. You can't be here and go there. See how that verse says that? Well, he's God, but the verse doesn't say because he's God we give him an exemption. No, the verse says if we're here, you can't go there and you can't. Do. So, it, so because what they say is, is he goes here first to pay for your sins, and then he goes to here to uh, uh, bless the Abraham bosom crowd. But the verse says you can't do that. So we got problems, don't we? Okay? You got problems. If Christ did go into the torment side, the verse says he couldn't move between the worlds, so no, so someone's lying. Either the word of God's lying or the guy propagating the bad idea is lying. So there's a great gulf there. Come on over to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. And, and I, doing that, I, you know, I, I understand that these folks in generally are well-meaning and so forth, but it just, the verses say different, so something's up. Look at Revelation 20, verse 11. Revelation 20, 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, and whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written, were written in the books, notice, according to their works. I'll just say, you look around this world today, and you see all what the lost are doing. Don't worry, God's going to get them in the end. Because how are they judged? According to their works. You may say, oh, he's not going to get them. Yeah, he's going to get them. Now, this is ages to come. What does Israel struggle through in the 70th week? They see the rich getting richer and the poor getting poor. They see not taking the mark of the beast and the fallout. And you know what Isaiah says? Don't worry. Judgment will be there. Reckoning. It's coming. So don't think they're getting away with something when in reality down the road they're not going to get away with much. Actually, they don't get away with anything. Why? Because God's just and he's got that. Now keep reading. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up, the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the what? The second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Notice that hell is not the ultimate end for the lost. What's going to happen out over here? Death and hell and the sea, they're going to get cast into a lake of fire. Now, you know what happens with the word fire. That's really heat lamp in the Greek, don't you know? Okay, that's from a... And no, it's what? We're going to see it in a minute. It's... Fire. It's torment. You're going to get salted with it. So what happens is, what they say is that after the cross, on the cross, Christ comes down, liberates, comes across here, and then resurrects. Okay? Well, we'll see in a minute that that just can't, we've seen enough, it can't be. But then what happens is, is, What's going to happen? Let me say it like that. This right here. Death and hell, the holding tank. Hell's going to get cast into the lake of fire. 
remember the issue in verse 14, that being cast into the lake of fire is called your second death. Because everybody wants to know, well, what's the second death? Dude, you've been in hell all along. It just got worse. Okay? Now, Isaiah 5, run over there just real quick, just so you understand this. Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5. And look, if you will, at verse 14. Isaiah 5 and verse 14. So, today the believer dies, absent from the body, present with the Lord. After the cross, the Old Testament saints are uh, in the Abraham's bosom. Hebrews chapter 12 says that they have been moved to the third heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem. So hell today is the only thing left standing, if you will. So this side has moved, oh, right there, third heaven, okay? Isaiah 5.14, what does it say? Therefore hell hath what? Enlarged herself, and her mouth without measure, and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoice shall descend into it. By the way, that's how you know they're going to get their end. So what's happened to hell down here, the torment side? It's gotten bigger. Why? Because there's more people messing up, or sinners. Now, that leads then to, come back to John 3. That leads then to this act of, well, how can God, how can a loving God send people to hell? And if you send people to hell, then you're not a loving God. Then you don't believe in a loving God. No, we believe in a just God. Where was his love demonstrated? But God committed his love toward us in that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ. See, he's a loving God in that he provided a way for you not to go to hell. John 3, this, this verse to me just was like, wow. Oh, I'm in 1 John. No wonder that didn't, that didn't look right. John 3 and verse 18. I said this Wednesday night. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned, what? Already. Because, John 3, 18. Because he hath not believed in the name of the, of the only begotten Son of God. What's the condition of the lost? They're already condemned. Now, they have an opportunity through the gospel message to do what? Change that status. You with me? So God's not waiting to see if you deserve the lake of fire. You deserve it. What he's waiting on is are you going to come along here and believe the remedy for your predicament, which is his son. That's why Romans 3, 9, when he says, therefore we both prove all Jew, Gentile, or what? Sinners. It's not a question. You're there. So you're, he's, you have a great opportunity to get saved today. It's a wonderful opportunity to trust that Christ died for my sins, was buried and rose again, and I don't have to do anything. He's done it all. I don't have to do nothing. That's a wonderful time. But you have this opportunity, and if you don't, and you die, you're going to come into this torment, which is just a holding tank for the ultimate uh, conclusion out there. 
And that's that issue there with the great white throne judgment. Now, you're in John. Come on over to John 19. John 19. And just notice something with me about this and the, in relationship to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Romans 9, Paul says that he came in the flesh for Israel. You remember that? Romans 9, verse 4 and 5. Then later Paul says that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Well, how can he do both? Well, because one, he's God, but two, two different programs. But notice Calvary is the hinge for all of it. Now, note John 19, and we, again, we have the crucifixion of Christ. Starts there in verse 16, and he's been going through stuff with them. And then, but look over, if you will, at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. All right? He's been hanging there. He's been looking out at everything. He's been calculating through the scriptures at everything. And he says, you know what? There's a verse in Psalm 69, verse 21, that hasn't been fulfilled yet. So in order to get them to do what that verse says they need to do, I need to say, I thirst. And what do they do? Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Now, before this, in the very beginning of the cross stuff, they tried to give him this, and he denied it because this is like a morphine. It's like a, a numbing drug, a numbing agent that they would take in so they, could, you, they would numb the, the, the person they're going to beat up. And they would numb him. And he said, no, i got to have clear mind. i got to have a clear thought process. So he sits there, head erect. Boom. Now at the end, what is time to do? Well, it's time to say, verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is what? Finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So in order for him, he's at the end. Okay, da, 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 da. Psalms is done, that one's done, Isaiah's done, that one's done. Oh, man, Psalm 69, 21. I thirst. They f give him the stuff. Then he says what? It is finished. Then he did what? Then he dies. He gives up the ghost. So he doesn't die and then come down here and pay sin. He pays sin up there. Sin is taken care of up there in those hours of darkness. When he says, it is finished, he meant it. He doesn't say, well, this part's done and i got to go do part B. He says what? It is finished. Come over to the end of Matthew, Matthew 27. Matthew 20, 27. You see, folks, what happens in this is you start looking at the verses and you really quickly go, wait a minute, none of this is matching up. Now, does Christ go to hell? Well, yeah, he does, but on the Abraham side, the bosom, the paradise side. He doesn't go into the torment side. That's why I kind of, I had a rough time titling this for the website because you can't say he doesn't go to hell because he does, so you got to qualify it out, torment side. Look at Hebrews, or Matthew 27, verse 45, 27:45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So there's three hours of darkness here. Now, by the way, at the same time, there's a physical darkness that hits the land. 
But this darkness isn't that. This darkness is a spiritual darkness that can't comprehend the truth. And there's literally a, a battle that rages between the adversary and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah, he says, who will contend with me? Come, contend with me, and let's get it on. And in the three hours of darkness when he's on the cross, he dies, he pays for your second death. And he goes through the, the issues of your second death. Now, you've got to think about this. How does, what is the first thing the Lord says on the cross? Do you remember? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, what did he just call the Father? Father. But here in the darkness, he calls him what? My God. My God. That takes you back to Psalms 22. Well, it should, but we're going to go back to Psalms 22. On your way, go back and, oh, yeah, I'll just go to Psalms 22. Online, there's a, we have studies about the battle on the cross where we dissect, we look through this. Psalms 22, a great passage here, a messianic psalm, and it's about the cross of Christ and the sufferings of Christ. And then the last half of the chapter, it's about the glories of Christ. Psalms 1. I'm sorry, Psalms 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Look at that. Where are you, Lord? Where are you, my God, my God? Now look at verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. That's how we know they pierced him. You read over in, in Isaiah, and he says, they, he gave my cheeks to be, my beard to be plucked out. That's how we know it. Just little verses. Where are we? We're on the cross. And what does he say, verse 1? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's, it's not a claim of, Father, help me. It's a, why am I? Now keep reading. Look at verse 2. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. Where are we on the cross when he cries this? In the darkness, the night season. Night in scriptures, tribulation, it's troubling. Verse 3, but thou art holy. Well, watch this. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. He says, look, and Lord, listen, you, you came to their rescue, but you won't come to mine. You rescued them when they cried in the wilderness, but you're not rescuing me. You came to their benefit with the manna, but where's mine? You came to their deliverance out of Egypt, but where's my deliverance? So look at verse 6. But I am a what? A worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. You see that? I am a worm, that degenerative form, that... that Isaiah 66, we're in Mark 9, we've been through in Mark 9 there, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That issue of, again, what did this guy have? Do you remember? He had eyes, he had a tongue, he had a finger, he had an ear, he had a finger. The worm 
there's a description of the degenerative nature that sin has on every soul. Because you know what? Sin has an impact on your soul. Even as a believer, it'll mess you up. And in hell, you know what you do? You know what happens in hell? You lose all of your identity. I had a guy one time tell me, I'm going to take hell with, we're going to win it. I'm have a party like no other. And I said, you're going to, nah, no, you're not. <laughs> I said a few other things to him, but that's the mentality. What does it say? I am a worm. What's happening? Now, again, he's not down here. He's on the cross. What's he doing on the cross? He's experiencing that second death for man. He's going through it. You are a nobody in hell. Christ on the cross, he suffered, he's exp- he, he suffered, he experienced in his inner man, in his soul, your second death. He experienced your lake of fire. That's what he did. When he says it is finished, that's way before he gave up the ghost to be dead. See? So he doesn't die and come down here to the torment side to pay sin. He took care of sin on the cross. Okay, now we don't have the time. You can look into this. It has to do with that Passover sacrifice and all that stuff that's back there pictured for that he did. But my point is, is when somebody says he went and died and went to hell, the torment side, to do that, they just haven't read their Bible enough. You need, I want to make sure you got an idea, okay? Now, come back to, with me, to 1 Peter, because here's where they go. The Bible's clear, folks, that Jesus Christ took upon your second death on the cross. He says, it is finished, then guess what? By the way, if he said it is finished, and he still has to come down here and do something, then it's not finished. If he just said, all right, hang on a minute, I got to, hang on, I'm back, but he didn't do that. You, you take those studies we did on the battle on the cross. They're on the YouTube. They're, they're in, a, in a playlist. And we walk right down through that issue about it is finished. That song, it is finished, that gets sung. And part of, uh, one of those verses that talks in that song is, talks about the souls of humanity hung in the balance. You go read Psalm 69 as he describes what it was to die your second death, and the miry clay, and the depths, and the drowning that he describes. All that happened while he was hanging on the cross. Now where they go is they go to over here to 1 Peter and 2 Peter. So go to 1 Peter 2. And they begin to pull stuff out. And they, uh, I don't know, it's just really crazy, but just let's just look at it here. 1 Peter 2. We're going to start here in verse 21. Now, this is Peter. He's talking to the little flock. All right? So he's talking to Israel, but specifically into the little flock. This is, second, this is 70th week information. It's information that will actually lead up to the 70th week for them to have and to understand because they're going in. Okay? Historically, this is written in the Acts period. And so if you think about the chart, that's where they're at. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto... Were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, 
neither was guile found in his mouth. That is Isaiah 53, okay? Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committeth himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who would that have been? There's the father. The father, okay? Now watch verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Notice how Peter says this. Now, by the way, Peter never says he hung on the cross. In Peter's world, it was always a tree. Because cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Paul says the cross, we preach the cross. The cross is where Peter says what? Tree. Now, you, I, I read this, and I think of our 2 Corinthians 5.21, <laughs> where he was made to be sin for us who, what, knew no sin? Why? That we might be made righteous? That's what Peter, look, he, verse 24, who in his own self bear our sin, where? In his own body. And you go back to Isaiah 53, and we don't have the time to do that. You can do that. Verse 5, 10 through, and you can see, you know what he did? He did exactly what the Old Testament prophets said the Messiah was going to do. Okay? It's clear, isn't it, that while he was on the tree, what did he pay for? Sins. Paul says it. Peter says it. The Lord Jesus Christ said it. So it should be settled matter. But it isn't because of a passage like 2 Peter 3. Come to 2 Peter 3. Am I losing you? I, this is not a, 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 this is a, let's get into the, de, the details here. And the reason for this, I'll be honest with you folks, is I worry for you. I do. There's so, you can, I know folks who understand this book rightly divided. They understand issues of the grace life. They understand Paul's their apostle. They understand that Christ died for their sin, and they're caught up in this. And they did it by a, a flatteries of words and how things were said. And yet they, I don't want that. I want you to know. I want you to be able to say, hang on a minute, that doesn't jive with this verse, because that's how you protect yourself. 2 Peter 3 what did I say? It should be first Peter. Should be first Peter three. Yes, first Peter three. I am so sorry. First mistake today. Nice try, Rick. <laughs> first mistake ever. Wow, I even like that one better. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. First Peter three. First Peter three. Did we get it right on the overhead at least? Okay, good. First Peter three. Woo! 1 Peter 3 is called by the, by the common commentators and all the great dissension passage. And it's used to, it is the passage that they use to say that he descended into hell and, and, and hell being torment side, okay? And I give it to you there, verse 18. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, 
by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a, was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now, parenthesis, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now, you know what they say. See, he died, and then he went down into hell, and he liberated the, he preached to the spirits in prison, and those spirits are these guys over here in the torment side. There's a problem, isn't there? And the problem is, is a, is a improper reading or a lack of reading of what we just read. I hope you see the answer. Yes, sir. What part? Torment side? So what they say, they use this passage to say that he came here to preach to the spirits in prison. Okay? All right? That's what they say. That's not what happened, but that's what they say. Okay, that's fine. No, I, no, I want this. I want it clear as mud, okay? <laughs> Clean mud. There you go. All right? Now, why, now, just look at the passage because they use verse 19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, the common teaching is that Jesus Christ goes into the torment side and he preaches to the spirits in prison. Okay? Yet, the question is, is when did he do this preaching? Verse 20. Which sometime were disobedient, the spirits in prison were, were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited when he was hanging on the cross. In the days of who? The days of Noah. Once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. So what did, when, is it, when does he say he, when does it say that he preached to the spirits in prison? In the days of Noah. Not on the cross. That's why I just, why I said, this comes about by a failure to read the passage or a desire to re read it into something else because they have an agenda over here that they need to back up, okay? So let's think about that. If he did this, it, if he went and he preached to them, then we got problems, don't we, with other passages now, don't we? Clear as the nose on your face. So then what's the deal? Well, first of all, who, who are the spirits that are in the prison? Okay? So come over to 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2. Now remember, the answer in it is when, did he do, when does he do this? He does it in the days of Noah. But we got to identify what the spirits in prison are and who's doing the preaching. Because they, see, it says there, by which also, uh, 
but quickened by the Spirit. Uh, uh, go back to 1 Peter 3. I'm sorry. Just, i got to get my mind straight. 1 Peter 3. Okay? Now let's catch this real quick. 1 Peter 3. Look at, look at verse, the way verse 18 ends. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the who? Spirit. Holy Spirit. By which also he went. Who's the he? The Spirit. He went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which were sometimes were disobedient when once in the long suffering of the... Wait, but wait a minute. How does the Spirit preach? What's the pro, what is the work product of the Spirit? Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Come over to 2 Peter 1 on your way back to 2. And look at verse 21. 2 Peter 1, 21. What's the work product of the Holy Spirit? How would the Holy Spirit preach to someone? What would he use? The Word of God. 1 Peter 1, 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were what? Moved by. Who in the world, who was around in the days of Noah that was preaching righteousness? Noah and Enoch were. So the Spirit, Holy Spirit, uses Noah and Enoch to do what? Preach to the spirits in the prison. Did that make sense? Okay. 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2, verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned. 2 Peter 2, 4. Okay? Now watch this. Carefully. Every word. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. Well, Matthew 25, 41 says that God created hell for the devil and his angels. So the fallen angels, where are they going? They're going to hell. But this isn't just the fallen angels. This is something even deeper than that. Okay? And delivered them into chains of darkness to be received unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, being in the flood, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, and so forth. You see that? So who are the spirits? We got a fallen angel group, don't we? Now come over to Jude 6. Jude, right, little book right before, Jude 6. By the way, I didn't finish that 2 Peter 3, 6, the turning of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with the no and so forth, them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. Now watch Jude 6. And the angels, now watch, which kept not their first estate, Jude 6, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities and so See how there's a connection there between what Peter wrote? Okay, so what's happening? First of all, what spirits were in the prison? The ones that left their first estate. Genesis 6. Okay, what'd they do? Not, 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 it's interesting in 2 Peter 3, 4. He says, spare not the angels that send. Well, there's one, 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 two, I get. But in six now, we're very specific, aren't we? They left their first estate. They saw the daughters of men. They came down, cohabitated. They're trying to pollute the seed line of man, of Noah. Okay? What do they do? They 
leave their first estates, what is their judgment? They're reserved in chains of, under judgment. Okay? A component of hell down here, we have the bottomless pit, and we have this place here where it, they, they're, they're reserved in the chains of judgment. Okay? So hell's got different little compartments in it. Here they are. But my point is in all this is who's preached to the spirits in prison? Noah. What did Noah say? The spirit through Noah said what? There's a flood coming, guys. Get in the boat. You're in Jude. You want to see Enoch? Keep Look down. Jude 14. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all of their hard speeches where ungodly sinners have spoken. Again, you think they're ungodly. But Enoch, we know in Genesis from Genesis 6 there that Enoch walked and he was what? Taken. When Methuselah showed, and so in Noah and all that, so you've got Enoch preaching, judgment's coming, and you've got Moses or Noah preaching, judgment's coming, but the answer is get in the boat. Enoch doesn't have an answer. His pre judgment's coming. Judge, get. And by the way, you only know that Enoch's preached that by Jude 14 and 15, just FYI. Again, who's preaching? Who caused Jude to sit and write Jude 14? The Holy Spirit did. So when you come into this stuff back here in 1 Peter 3, it just reading the verses indicates something to you that, hey, wait a minute, this isn't anything to do with Calvary. It's back there in Genesis 6 when the Spirit works through Noah to say, hey, there's, an Enoch, there's judgment coming. Now, go back to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. Verse 20, does that make sense? You're not out here on a limb trying to make something, make a round peg go in a square hole. We got a square peg going in a square hole. But what do you got to do? You just got to read. When did Christ pay for the sins of humanity? On the cross. In those three hours of darkness where he cries, my God, my God. And he says, I am a worm and I'm not a man. Okay? 1 Peter 3, verse 20. Which sometimes were disobedient. Watch. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Just so you know, you can, we can look at it at another time. You know how long the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah? 120 years. 120 years. That's how long he waited. You know why? It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. And once the ark was built, then that first big raindrop came down and hit him on the head. And they're like, don't, stupid birds. Until the next one, the next one, the next one. And it just got, okay? The long suffering waited. He allowed the ark to be built. That issue of here's the Redeemer. Here's the opportunity of redemption. Here's the opportunity of getting it right. And, you know, you guys have all seen uh, uh, the, um, 
movies with the what's his name in there and it's Noah and the Bruce Almighty nonsense and all that stuff. It's really funny, I get, but, but you think about that. Here he is, he's working on it, him and his family, and what can they do? They're hey, what are you doing, Noah? Well, God said there's judgment coming and we're building the answer out. Ah, oh, you fool, you know how you get. What did they do? The long-suffering was there. Now, you see it down in verse 20, because we keep reading. While the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were what? Saved, how? By water. But now keep reading. Now, this is, to me, this is just wonderful. The like figure, where, so the picture of the ark and the saving by the water even baptism doth also now save us, but save them how? Not in the putting off of the filth, away the filth of the flesh, because what puts away the filth of the flesh? Calvary. What does the baptism have to do with saving them from? The tribulation, the judgment that was preached to them in the days of Noah. Because what's coming their way in First Peter, in the age out there in the to come? <laughs> Judgment's coming. And if you want to get through the judgment, you've got to get in the boat, i.e. the little flock. You've got to come over here and do what God's doing and get over here. That's why Peter says to him in Acts 2, get out of that untoward generation. Save yourselves. Get, not save yourself in justification, but save yourself in, hey, you've got to get in where God's getting. You follow that? Why? Because the figure didn't save them from the filter. You know, Noah was a sinner. Just he was, he was a man. But what did he do? He obeyed God from the heart. Now he's a preacher of righteousness. You follow that? That just—that's better than. Mm, that's good. So when you come back to Philippians four, we'll talk next time about the great descent and what's happening there don't let somebody use it to say he went over here when John 19 says you know what he said it's finished and then he gave up the ghost so it was either done or he's a liar no it was done okay and when you think about it he doesn't go to hell he suffers your second death on the cross and that's why Romans 5, 8 is so wonderful. But God commended what? His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Okay? You see, that's fantastic. That's liberating. So when you see the, the Satan's church, the doctrines of devil popping up, you can say, hang on a minute. Let's go look at the verses. Let's get away from the human viewpoint or the agenda to prove. And let's just look here. Okay, now we could go on and on and on. It's five afternoon. <laughs> okay? My point is, as people use Philippians 4, 9 and 10, to come up with some crazy ideas that when you come into Scripture, just don't fit. And we ought to rejoice in the fact that he's done it all, and he did it at Calvary. Okay? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. No, they weren't down here yet. The, 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 the prison of the earth being in the creation. They weren't supposed to be there. 
Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great question about what is the prison, the spirits in prison. Most will say they're reserved in the chains of darkness. That's where they ultimately end. They, they, are, they have left their first estate. They leave the heavenly realm. They come to earth. Earth became their prison because they make the giants and they, they, they've sinned with the ultimate judgment of being reserved in hell or in the darkness. And then ultimately one day, by the way, that thing in, 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 uh, about the great white throne judgment and the sea, he's not talking about the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. He's talking about the stuff that sits down here at the bottom end below the earth. Moses tells Israel, don't you make idols of things in heaven, things on the earth, or things below the earth in the water down there. There's a holding tank down there that's going to deliver up, and be, because at the great white throne judgment, sin and all of its proponents and everybody involved in it is judged and cast into the lake of fire. And that's even those guys. So that's the ultimate judgment. All right? Okay. Folks, you ought to rejoice in what Calvary is all about. And Paul is the one that tells us this is what it's about. And he says, you know what he did? He said, you want to see my love? You want to see my activity? We preach Christ crucified. That's who we preach. And I look around the room. I know most of you, but there's always that chance somebody's sitting here that doesn't know Christ. And what do you, How do you know him? Well, first of all, you're a sinner, and you don't deserve him. But what did he do for you? He died for you. He loved you. And he said, you just come and believe me. Trust me. Trust Noah. I, I look at Noah, man. Man, what trust Noah had in God Almighty. Just believe me. And when you do that, you'll pass from death into life. I give you my life. I give you eternal life. That thing in John about eternal life and that it is to know him. You know, it's life eternal. It goes on world without end. But man, just to know him. He goes, I give you that opportunity. And you do it by just simply trusting his activity, not yours. And the moment you do that, you pass from death to life. And then you're golden forever. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for everything that you've given to us in your son. For Calvary's blessing and for the spiritual blessings, and for the completeness, and for all that we have. And we say thank you for that, from hearts of gratitude and hearts of love. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to be